So part of my testimony, uh, how I came to, met, to meet Jesus and how he's changed my life and is changing my life, is uh, I was saved. I committed my life to Jesus at a really young age. Uh, I was five years old. But as I grew up, especially in middle school and early high school, I did not understand what it meant to have my identity in Christ. So here's what I mean. I believed Jesus is God. I believed he died on the cross for my sins. I believed he rose from death and that I'd be with him in heaven when I died. But during that period of my life, I lived like, what good does that do me now? Like, what good is the gospel? What good is Christ right now? Because who I am depends on how good I am at the things that I want to be good at. How good am I at school? How good am I at basketball? How popular am I at school? That's what I thought made for the really good life. And I thought if I'm the best at these things that I care about, and if everyone knows it, then I'll have what I'm looking for. So I was finding my identity in performance and in that performance being acknowledged by others. And that drove me to a really bad place, a place where because I didn't meet those standards, uh, I didn't feel like I had much value. And because I didn't have much value, I thought, well, why live at all? So I started entertaining thoughts of suicide. Uh, fortunately, those thoughts didn't progress. Uh, and I guess I'll have to finish that story another day. But I share that part to just say my identity was misplaced. And I suffered unnecessarily. I suffered because my identity was misplaced. An identity is what you understand yourself to be. Who are you? Often, how you understand who you are is tied to your sense of value. For example, who I am is I'm an engineer. And because I'm employed, because I have an important role at this workplace, I'm valuable. But then, when layoffs come and you get laid off and a year later, if you can't, can't find a job or a job that you like, has your value changed? Are you still valuable? Or for someone, maybe even someone here today, uh, you might say, I'm valuable because I'm a mom and these kids need me. But when the kids are grown and they don't need you in the same way, who are you? Are you still valuable? Identity is incredibly personal and it's very, very practical. We all live out of our identity every single day. Our understanding of who we are. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we dive in, I want to remind us, if you, were, if you missed last week um, or if you just slept and forgot since last week, we're in week two of a series titled People Skills. And as a church, we're looking at people skills, not to make people like us, not to impress other people, and definitely not to manipulate people. Historically, I've read, a, I've read a book on people skills, and I told a friend about that book that I was reading. He was like, oh, that's a book about manipulation. And it's really not. But sometimes people... When people have really good people skills, they use it to their advantage and they manipulate people around them. That's not why we are covering people skills. We want to understand how to best love people because, like we saw in 2 Corinthians, 
God himself is making his appeal through us. And so how we make that appeal, how we relate to people, that really matters. That matters a lot. In fact, one of my mentors as I went through seminary said, Ben, you're going to get good theology at seminary. It'll, it'll help you there. But good theology isn't enough. You have to also have good anthropology. Theology is the study of God. Anthropology is the study of people. In order to lead people well, knowing truths about God is not enough. You have to know who you're leading. You have to know who you are, who they are. And that's, that's a very biblical statement. We saw it last week with Jesus' answer to what is the greatest commandment. It's love God first, then love people. Here's another biblical support for good theology not being enough. You also have to have good anthropology. 1 John 4.20 Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, they can't love God whom they have not seen. So you can find books on theology and anthropology. You can get lots of information, but this is meant to be lived out. This is designed to to be lived out in relationships with God and with people. And so this series is not a series on self-help. You can do it. You can be good with people. Just go get it. It's all up to you. (laughs) It's not a self-help series. This is a cry. God, help. Not self-help, but God, help. Would you please help us? We cannot do this apart from your leading. So we're going to stop and pray and just ask for God's help uh, before we continue. Lord, it's, it's clear to me, I pray that it's clear to everyone in this room that your will for us is to love you and to love those around us. God, I pray if there's any selfish ambition or any vain conceit in our hearts if we're making life about us, would you gently and lovingly correct us this morning? Show us how we're doing that. And I pray that each of us would choose to repent, turn away from that, and turn towards you. As we look at identity, we cry, I cry to you, God, help us. (laughs) I don't know how to communicate such a deep and meaningful truth in so little time. But we trust that you can do what we cannot do. And we trust that you will do it for your, for your name, for your glory. Amen. So uh, last week what we did was we looked at how all the themes that we've covered so far in our different sermon series have tied together but also how the need for people skills fits in to all of those. And today, like I mentioned, we're going to look at identity. So think of all the things that someone might find their identity in. Their money, like their net worth. That number and how high or low it is shows them who they are and how valuable they are. For some people, it might be family. For others, it's sexuality. For others, it might be work or your ability. Your appearance could be a source of your personal identity. Morals. People use, people use 
the fact that they go to church, that they're a good person, that they give towards charities as a way of saying, therefore, I'm a good person. Therefore, I'm valuable. Therefore, maybe I'll get to heaven when I die. That's wrong, but people do it. And this question of who am I, it's a big question. And it's tied to even bigger questions. Like, where did I come from? Who is or what is ultimate reality? And how we answer those questions matter greatly. So for example, Carl Sagan, a materialist, he only believes that physical things are real. He says the universe is all there ever was and all there ever will be. And so he would say your identity as star stuff is you're the result of a cosmic accident that created life that evolved into the form that you experience it in today. So think about how that identity, if you are just star stuff, think about how that identity would affect and shape your relationships with people. You'd do everything you need to to survive and advance. You'd break laws as long as you knew or you thought you could get away with it, as long as the benefit exceeded the cost. There is no moral absolute. There's no right or wrong. So all that matters is what you see. The only reason you'd ever do anything is for yourself. But God says the opposite. You're not an accident. He says that he chose to create us intentionally. And other people are not valuable because of what they can give you, but because of what God gave them. Let's look at humanity's God-given identity. This is, as a human being, this is who we are. God said in Genesis 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And there's a lot to be said for this passage. But I just want to point out that there is incredible and unique value to all of humanity. Man and woman, every age, every ethnicity, because we're made in God's image. Nothing else in all creation has this designation. And we are to be representatives, to kind of rule over his creation because he gave us that responsibility. He, he put us as stewards of the creation. And that's what it means, I think, to image something. It's like if I had a selfie stick, but I, I don't. If I had a selfie stick and I took a picture of all of us today, I would be, I would be imaging a moment, right? I'd be representing a moment in time with a picture. And we are to be representatives, images of God. We're to bear his image. And that's an incredible dignity, an incredible value that God gives to all of humanity at the very beginning of the Bible. And if you've heard the story of the Bible, you know that unfortunately, it's not long before we as humans misrepresented God's image. It's like we took that picture 
God said, oh, that picture is very good, bears the image well. And then we took a Sharpie and just (laughs) colored all over it. But God, this is amazing to me. God doesn't revoke this title of image bearer. Instead, he continues to affirm it. Look at Genesis 9-6. After the flood, which God sent because we, as humans, filled the earth with evil, so God kind of cleaned it out with a flood, punished evil with a flood, um, God said, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life should also be taken. So capital punishment. Because God, and, and then he says, for God made human beings in his own image. This is after the fall. We're still image bearers. So even though we're, he, we're evil, we still have this incredible value. All of us have incredible value given to us by God. And the New Testament affirms it as well, in case you were curious. James 3.9 He's talking about the power of words and he's saying with our words we bless God but we also use the same tongue to curse people who, James kind of sneaks in there, who are made in God's likeness, who are made in his image. And then he says, brothers, this shouldn't be. It shouldn't be this way. So even though clearly we are not accurate image bearers, we we remain Image bearers of God. And as image bearers, all people are valuable. Muslims, black people, white people, poor people, rich people, every person has this identity of incredible value given to them by God. God is where we came from. God is why we exist. And we're valuable because God, who is ultimate reality, he said so. He said we're valuable. So with this uh, dilemma that we're made in God's image, we're really valuable, but we're uh, we're not reflecting the image properly. The image is marred. It's messed up because of our sin. Here's a question that I think is really helpful but it's not often asked, is why would God allow himself to be represented so poorly? He's a perfect God. He's a perfect judge. And good judges don't let criminals walk. And it's a criminal offense, what we have done in sinning against a holy God. So why would God allow us to keep this incredible dignity, allow us to keep this this title and this identity as image bearers. I think Romans 3 gives us the answer. And it's not simple. So I guess I apologize, I guess. Um, It's not simple, but please do your best to follow this logic. Romans 3, 25 and 26. Why would God delay why would God put up with us portraying the wrong image? It says, in God's forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So all this is saying is God doesn't give and he didn't give full punishment to sin at the time of the sin. 
And why, why, that's, that's the question that we're asking is, why would we get to be image bearers still after we've shown we are not going to bear the image and we're not going to represent God well? Verse 26 gives the answer. He, he, he overlooked the sin for a time in order to demonstrate his righteousness at this time, at the present time, so that God would be just, not only a good judge, but that he'd also be justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So in a nutshell, he, he chose to delay punishment. He's still, given, he's still going to give it, but he chose to delay punishment in order to show his character. And his character is shown in the person of Jesus. And so, here's where it kind of comes full circle. Jesus is the like capital T, capital H, capital E. He is the image of God. In Jesus, we see who God is. We see who we are, who we were made to be rightly displayed. God in the flesh showed us who we were designed to be as humanity. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Christ is the image of God. And so if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, you have this new self, which is being, in the words of Paul in Colossians 3, it's being renewed, it's being made new, it's like a new creation, it's, it's, it's ongoing, this new creation, being renewed in knowledge in, look at this, the image of its creator. And as we rely on Jesus, in fact, relying on Jesus is how we grow to image or represent God appropriately. And we, as we rely on Jesus, we see that even though we're surrounded by sin and therefore we're always tempted to, you know, get out that Sharpie, <laughs> Get out that Sharpie and mess up a good thing. We can, we can show, or sorry, we, we can grow into the image of God, the image. We can grow in Christ because he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. So let's look at Jesus as an example. How did, I, how did Jesus' identity help him resist sin. Because what I'm saying is, if you're a follower of Jesus, your identity in Jesus should help you to resist sin. It should help you to grow in that identity and be, in mo- be more and more assured of who you really are in Christ. So I'm, I, j- I just said that Jesus, if we rely on him, he can help us. So here's what this looks like practically in Jesus' own life. Matthew 3 This is the account of Jesus right after he was baptized. He came up out of the water and the heavens were open and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove on him. And then a voice out of the heavens, God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Bookmark that just in your mind. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
Because what happens next ties back into that. Jesus went into the wilderness. In fact, God the Spirit led him there. And the devil met him there in order to tempt him. As Jesus was fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry because he was a man. And the devil came and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. You're hungry after all. You're the son of God. Make the stones bread. But Jesus said, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The devil came back, took Jesus into the holy city and had Jesus stand at the top of the temple. So he was at the top of a high building, basically. And the devil said, uh, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, God will command his angels concerning you and their hands will bear you up and you're not going to strike your foot against a stone. You're safe. Just if you're the son of God, show us. You're not going to die. Just jump off. Jesus said, on the other hand, it's written, you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and he, And the devil said, all these things I'll give you if you just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, leave Satan. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So, at the baptism, God said, you are my son. God, he defined and affirmed Jesus' identity. But then in the wilderness, the devil attacked Jesus that identity. He said, if you're God's son, if you're God's son, do this, do that, prove it. And Jesus doesn't turn to self-help. It was, God, you're my help. You're my identity. I live by what you say about me to be true, not by trying to prove myself to anyone else. They don't define me. You do, God. So let's finish with some more application. Because Jesus lived this perfect life, because he was always living by this true identity, and because he, this perfect man died on the cross in our place, because he rose again, you too can be a beloved child of God. This can be your identity. You can embrace that. God is offering you to find your identity in him. But in order to do this, you have to drop everything else that you claim as your identity. That cannot be where you find your value. You have to believe that you were made by God for a relationship with God and that that relationship is only found in Jesus, no one else. But as you do this and as you keep finding your identity in Jesus, it will change your life and it will change your relationships. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. During the time of my life when I had suicidal thoughts, I had really unhealthy relationships. I didn't know it, but who I was was impacting how I related with people. Our value is defined by God, not by us. And it's demonstrated by Jesus' sacrifice, his death on the cross, on our behalf.
Another application is, since you don't have anything to prove, you don't have to be a servant of men because you're a servant of Jesus. And these people that some say are a cosmic accident, they're not meant to be used for your gain. They're valuable image bearers of God who need the image of God to cover their sins and to change them in order to fulfill their purpose. And when we embrace Jesus as our identity, then all that we do, whether it's changing diapers, building airplanes, teaching children, doing accounting work, all that we do, we do out of this identity in Jesus. And we don't do that to find or prove ourselves to people, but to enjoy who we are in Jesus. And, and this is what it means to worship, to express yourself out of not who you are in yourself, but who you are in Jesus. And worship both reveals, it shows us who we are, and it forms who we are. So the devil's last try at undermining Jesus' identity, it wasn't, hey, if you're the son of God, do this. It was, I'll give you this if you just worship me. It's still tied to his identity because what we worship is what we become. And it shows us who we already are. And Jesus said, get out of here, Satan. My identity, my worship is found in God alone. Let's pray together. Father, if there's anyone here who has believed lies about who they are, about what makes them valuable, or who is believing lies, pray that along with you and by your power they'd say get out of here Satan there's nothing that you can offer that beats what Jesus is offering and, and has done on my behalf